Once again, to honor the practicality of the book of James, here are three salty tips for this week, all given to me by members of the congregation, okay? And these are all about salt. First one, add a little salt to your boiling water when cooking hard-boiled eggs, and a cracked egg will not leak out of the shell. If you have a hole in your drywall, or if you've got plaster, either one, mix equal parts of salt and starch with just enough water to make a thick paste, and you can use that to patch the hole in your drywall or plaster. If you're baking a homemade pie and it bubbles over into the oven, immediately put a handful of salt on top of the spill. The spill won't smell, and when the oven cools, there will be a powdery spot for you to wipe up. And when the pie cools, call me. <laughs> Jesus told his audience in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you are the salt of the world. In other words, the actions and the deeds of your faith give flavor to an otherwise bland world and help bring healing to wounded lives. And while James doesn't use the picture of salt among his many illustrations in his book, this next portion of his letter challenges us in the very same context of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, to put our faith into action, to spice up this world with genuine living and help heal the wounds that go deep. And that begins to happen when our faith becomes an action word. Here's how James opens this next portion of Scripture, James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but he has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Well, to be sure, James is talking about a reduced faith at best if we don't have deeds. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not. I'm sure you have, but everything we are eating has changed through the years. Uh, many of the food products we buy today have gone through a transition to reduce the percentage of bad ingredients. Hellman's Mayo Light is advertised as half the fat and half the calories as regular mayonnaise, and it advertises being made with cage-free eggs. Not exactly sure what that means, but I get this image of bad eggs behind bars. 50% less fat, 50% less calories. Butterball Deli Turkey has 50% less sodium. Tropicana orange juice can be had with 50% less sugar. You just look for it, and everything's reduced. Back in the 1920s, my grandpa Ellsworth started a dairy business. Milk from the local dairy farms was homogenized, pasteurized, and then bottled for retail sale. When I was a kid, a little kid, nobody bought 2% milk. It wasn't marketable. Uh, it was given back to farmers to feed to the hogs. Everybody used whole milk. And the rich half-and-half half milk that you can buy uh, on the uh, counter today, which is half milk and half cream, wasn't called half-and-half half then. It was called cereal milk because people considered regular whole milk too runny to use on their cereal, and so they used what we call today half-and-half. Half. Man, how times have changed. Not only is 2% marketable today, but there are a lot of people who think it is too rich, and so a lot of folks drink either 1% or skim milk today. 
What may be advisable for our physical health is certainly detrimental to our spiritual health. When it comes to the matter of faith, James isn't into reducing anything. As a matter of fact, he would have been appalled at the news that came from Virginia this week. Last year, after a contentious battle that ended in the Ten Commandments banner being taken down from the school system, the school board in Giles County, Virginia, voted to rehang the display surrounded with other historical documents. Now, that raised the hackles of others who say that that's a government endorsement of religion. And so you got two sides going at it. And so the judge, Michael Urbanski, offered a compromise before the case went to mediation. He suggested that they only use six of the Ten Commandments and hang the last six and leave out the top four. Forty percent fewer commandments? That's what I call a reduced calorie religion. Like fresh cream, James challenges Christians to rise to the top. His question that he asks in that opening verse is really rhetorical. Can such a faith save you? No! An actionless faith can't save anyone because it isn't really faith at all if there's no action to it. So when it comes to demonstrating one's faith, for James, it's all or absolutely nothing. No reduced faith in his book. So here are the three things then that he lines up as we go through the rest of this text. And, and, and he addresses all of these so that we get the idea of how important actions are with our faith. He says words alone are insufficient. Let's begin reading in verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action is dead. Now, what an image James paints. You, you, you get the picture, don't you? You rush into a worship service, you're running maybe just right on the money, or, or maybe you're just a tad bit late, and you plop down in the pew, and you're exhausted. And when you finally catch your breath, you look down the pew expecting to see the people you always see there in the pew next to you. And this time, you see somebody you don't recognize, but a quick glance tells you this person hasn't eaten regularly. Maybe they haven't eaten for a while and your heart goes out to them. And so after the service is over, you extend your hand and say, it is so nice to see you here this morning. I wish you the best. I hope you're well fed. Come back and see us again because we really are glad you're here. And you walk out of the pew and out the door and you feel so happy because you have been a blessing and you have extended to them great riches out of the depth of your vocabulary. James says, this is an absurd picture. Who in their right mind would feel good about just giving somebody who hasn't eaten for a while a pat on the back and then go on your way? There is a time for encouraging words, yes. But there's a time for action that means more than the encouraging words. The story is told of a frontier congregation who had gathered at the church building to pray for one of the families whose homestead had been destroyed by a twister on the prairie. One lady arrived a little bit late, slipped into the church, took her place in the building when one of the older, more pious and smug members turned around, glared at her and said, isn't your husband coming? And she whispered back softly, no, he can't come, but he sent his prayers in the wagon. And outside was a wagon full of food and supplies to help the family whose home had been destroyed in the twister. 
Now, I'm certainly not suggesting that prayer isn't important. To the contrary. I'm not suggesting it's not relevant in certain situations like this. As a matter of fact, the power of prayer is the strength of our faith. It's a major focus of this year and for all the years to come after this. I mean, how can we dare dream for tomorrow without including God or depending upon Him to get us through all the dreams that we have for this congregation? So take some time to pray. Prayer is that which undergirds. Don't forget, we've got a couple things that you can do right around here, maybe to to give some new twist to your prayer life. Um, Right out here, uh, you know, closer to door five and just up from the garage, at the trailhead of our walking path, there is a post with a, uh, a mailbox on it. And you can do one of two things. You can take one of those sheets out of that little mailbox and you can start walking the perimeter of the church parking lot. There are numbers and arrows on the parking lot that give you, when you cross those numbers, things to pray for. If you're wanting some good exercise in the nice new weather that we've got here in the springtime conditions, walk the perimeter of the church lot and pray. If you don't want to do that or you've done that a few times, then take the trail. Walk the gravel trail and stop at the benches that are new out there. They're designed to have you sit down and meditate and spend some time in prayer. These are just some ways that you can do that. Or check out the International Daily Prayer site on our, on our website. If you go to our website uh, and you put your uh, cursor over the Discover uh, tab, then you'll come down on the uh, left-hand side there to the 50th year challenge and pray for the nations. Click on that, and it brings up this page that gives you information about praying for the nations. And when you scroll down that page, you'll come to the bottom paragraph there, and you'll see click here for today's country, and the country changes every day. There's also an option to, uh, to look at the world. There is a, uh, there is a link so that you can Uh, order a free world map, but today's country is Egypt. For May uh, uh, the 13th, it is Egypt. And so I want you to take note of, here's another way to add to your prayer list another privilege in sharing about the international church. And it's to be true that the Christians in Egypt are having a tough time. So keep the kingdom and other people who need to know Jesus Christ in your praise. That's just, that's just another way. And, and please, will you log your hours? I know, I know that feels awkward, but do it anonymously so that we can celebrate that this is a, I am so encouraged when I know that you are praying. Just write them down, put them in the boxes that you see scattered around here, those little black triangular boxes, and they'll get logged and your name won't be on it. Nobody will have to know if that's what is bothering you. I just want us to be able to celebrate that we're praying together. Now, all that said about the importance and the power of prayer, God expects us to act as we pray. It's not a matter of being, you know, more prayerful or more action-oriented. It's not about one being more important than the other. It is a combination of the two that makes for powerful Christian service. James rightly concludes that faith which is not accompanied by deeds is a dead or a useless faith, both outwardly and inwardly. And the word dead here is actually the word for corpse. Here's the picture. Just as a body is nothing, when the spirit has departed and gone home to be with God, so our faith appears corpse-like without the spirit of action and deeds. 
And I'm here to tell you, there is nothing pretty about a corpse. And so James reminds us that what we say, though words are powerful, are insignificant if it's not backed up by deeds. In other words, words speak, actions shout. So don't just talk about your faith. Demonstrate your faith is what James says. And faith in action can take you to faraway places. We got a team uh, that's working in Honduras uh, right now. Uh, people being helped uh, with, with food in their homes. And this is the kind of places where people live in Honduras. And some live in less than that. But we have a team down there. They're helping do some remodeling with a church building. And, and they're giving out food. And they're praying with people. You can take these kinds of adventures and trips. We have all kinds of things like that going on regularly for you to get out of the confines of this community, maybe even out of the borders of this nation to do something around the world, if that's how you want to put your faith into action. But you don't have to do that to put your faith into action. Faith in action may just take you no farther than the neighborhood where you live. Here are some simple ways for you to put your faith into action. These are nothing earth-shattering, but they're easy to do if you'll just take the time to do them. Write a note to someone who is serving in our military. You'd be surprised how much encouragement that will give. Uh, give an elderly lady a bouquet of flowers for nothing special, just to lift her spirits. Take time to thank a law enforcement officer or your child's teacher. They oftentimes go unthanked. Offer to help a widower shop for Christmas or birthday gifts. Sometimes older men have a hard time when it comes to buying gifts for their family. Help them do that. Shovel your neighbor's driveway or sidewalk when it snows or help an elderly couple with the leaves in their yard come fall of the year. And then here's one. I've, I've never tried this one. John gave this one to me this, this week, but it's, it's really intriguing to me. He says, uh, when, you, when you are eating in a restaurant and, and you're ready to pray for your meal, before you pray, ask the server, tell him you're getting ready to pray for your meal, and just ask the server, is there anything uh, that you would like for me to pray for you? And he said, you'll be amazed how many times they will say yes and give you something to pray for. It's just another way of putting your faith into action and making a difference in somebody's life. Simple things, but it may make a world of difference. Preacher and author Elton Trueblood said, our faith becomes practical when it's expressed in two books, the date book and the checkbook. Pretty good. Invest your time and your resources to help others. Put your faith into action because words alone are insufficient. Without a supporting cast of deeds and actions, fine words make for a lousy leading role. Here's the second thing he says. Belief alone is insufficient. In verses 18 and 19, this is what we read. But someone will say, well, you've got faith. I've got deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Well, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Comedian Louis C.K. said, I have a lot of beliefs, and I live by none of them. That's just the way I am. They're just my beliefs. I, I just like believing them. I, I like that part. They, they make me feel good about who I am. But if they get in my way of the thing I want to do, I just do what I want to do. I'm surprised, or I'd be surprised to know that most of us aren't the same way. 
you know, that what we believe, what we believe should be the guiding convictions of our life. But when what we believe comes into conflict with what we want to do, most oftentimes we side with what we want to do. Maybe that doesn't, is a struggle you don't have. I know it's a struggle that I face. What we believe, though, must impact every aspect of our lives. At times, I think we debate with ourselves the erroneous idea that, well, you know, some people, God's just given some people the ability to do good things. Now, my gift is faith, but somebody else may have the ability to do good things. Both are needed, right? Both are important in the kingdom. I don't do much, but I really believe strongly. And James says, who are you kidding? It's not about somebody having the gift to do good things and you've got the gift of faith. He said, it is your faith that prompts action. It's it's not either or, it's both and. You can't have real faith if it doesn't act on that faith. James warns us that there would be counterfeit Christians and that we would recognize them by their fruit. Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. His point was simple. Genuine faith is always accompanied by good deeds. That's the fruit. And a fruitless tree, a fruitless apple tree, a fruitless cherry tree is a deceptive tree. And if it's in an orchard, it gets cut down because it's good for nothing. It's just taking up nutrients and soil and sunlight and space. And if it's not producing fruit, it's an imposter. It's no good for anything. Now, if you are thinking this morning that, well, I don't have to do things because I believe so deeply, then James throws the knockout punch in his next statement. He says, you're proud of the fact you believe? Well, good for you. You are in fine company. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's been said that during war, there are no atheists in foxholes. In a spiritual war, there are no atheists among the enemy. Even our arch enemy, Satan himself, believes he knows what the end of the story is, and he shudders. If the demons shudder, who are we to take faith so lightly? Faith that acts. This distinction needs to be made. Simply believing, simply believing the facts is not the equivalent of true faith. Beliefs must lead to implicit trust, and it is that implicit trust then that responds with action. For instance, okay, let me give you some examples. You may believe that those oxygen tanks will sustain you underneath the water. You may believe that with all your heart, but it isn't faith until you go scuba diving. You may believe the surgeon's expertise can heal you, but it's not faith until you put on that immodest hospital gown, climb onto the operating table, and start counting backwards from 100. You may believe that your true love is committed to your relationship, but it isn't faith until both of you walk down the aisle and you say, I do. Hebrews 11 in the New Testament is known as the faith chapter of the Bible, but would you listen to how everybody, this this is the honor roll of the faith, chapter 11 of Hebrews, but would you listen to how each person is described? Abel offered, Enoch pleased, Noah built, Abraham looked, Isaac blessed, Jacob worshiped, Joseph instructed, Moses chose, the Israelites passed through, Rahab welcomed, and the list goes on. Every person listed there is described with an action word, and yet it's called the honor roll of faith. 
Because you see, genuine faith always responds with deeds and actions. I could tell you this morning that I'm a scratch golfer. I could wear the most stylish golf shirt on the market. I could buy a membership to Augusta National. I could learn all about the golfers in the PGA and memorize their standings and scores. I could buy the most expensive set of tailor-made golf clubs, and I could spend all of my time off hanging around the golf course, talking with people who, as they come in, and, and, and sharing about big games. But if I never played a round of golf, I'm nothing more than an imposter. I'm deluded as well as a deceiver. I don't care how much I believe I can be a scratch golfer. If I never pick up a club and I never hit a ball, I'm nothing. So, so here's the deal. If you say, I'm a Christian, but you do absolutely nothing, your faith doesn't prompt you to respond in any way whatsoever, may I suggest you're an imposter because genuine Christian faith, faith that saves, is a faith that acts. Just believing is insufficient. Goodness alone is insufficient. That's the third thing that James gives us, and and this is how James describes it in chapter 2, verse 20 and following. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, not just by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave food and lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It comes back to that picture of the corpse again. Now, I want you to listen to me real careful. I need to clarify something here. James is not addressing the issue of salvation as some have misunderstood. James is not talking about us being saved by our good deeds. He is not in conflict with what we find in the writings of Paul or elsewhere in the Scriptures. This isn't being saved by good works. It is about good works that are a confirmation of our faith that saves. When Paul writes about being saved by faith, he is talking about being justified before God alone. James, however, is concerned that we are justified before our fellow man, not just God, but our fellow man. And and only God can see what's in your heart. You and I can only see one another's actions. Paul is talking about pre-conversion. James is talking about post-conversion. Paul is talking about a faith that saves. James is talking about a faith that obeys. Both are right, and each is important. We are not good enough on our own, but God is. And that's what we see in these two partnerships that he gives us here. He talks about Abraham, and he talks about Rahab. One was a Jew, one was a Gentile. One was the father of the Hebrew nation, the other was a prostitute. But both believed God and acted upon that faith. And God called Abraham his friend. 
Not because Abraham deserved it, but because that's the grace of God at work. Wasn't Abraham's goodness, it was God's grace. And Jesus said, we too are his friends. And he says it this way in John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. See, it's about that faith that obeys. Rahab and her family were saved in the conquest of the city of Jericho, not because she deserved it, but because she acted on her faith, and that was the grace of God extended to her. And, and, and do you know this? That Rahab, this Gentile prostitute from the city of Jericho, ends up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You talk about God's grace at work, that's his grace that someone from such a lowly position would be found in the lineage of our Savior. God's grace, our obedience. What a partnership. Lloyd John Ogilvie, former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, said this, without God, we can't. Without us, he won't. It's a partnership. Faith is your action word. Grace is God's action word. And they go together beautifully. I read of a 67-year-old man named Bill who had donated over 100 pints of blood through the years of his life. Now, no doubt, many people were either healed or maybe even their lives saved by the blood that Bill had donated. And when Bill was asked about heaven, this is what he said with a chuckle. <laughs> he says, well, when the final whistle blows and St. Peter asks, what did you do? I'll just say, well, I gave 100 pints of blood. That ought to get me in. Now, Bill may have been joking. I don't know. But if Bill is counting on his giving of 100 pints of blood to get him home, then he's trusting in the wrong blood. Only the sacrifice of one whose grace is sufficient gets us home. And it is your faith in him that makes that possible. And it is that faith that acts that makes it work. Are you there this morning? Are, are you without him as your Lord and Savior today? Do you know him as the King of kings and Lord of lords in your life? Because if you don't, then your faith needs to act upon that this morning while we stand and while we sing, you come.